Hey, whatever. You are now tuned in to the Growing Gardenias podcast, a podcast created to bring you insight on mental wellness and self-help. Always remember you are still growing and still learning daily and you are lovely. Subscribe for weekly gems. Gardenia blessings to each of you. I'm your host, Niara Jasmine, and this is episode 25, Black Faces, White Spaces. Welcome back, my lovelies, to another episode of the Growing Gardenias podcast. Today's shout out Sunday goes to my first ever guest on the show, Miss Carrie Ann. Say hello, say hello. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Ann Sejour, you know, <coughs> her first guest. Betty, <coughs> you know, just excellence in the room together, radiating. Therapist or whatever. Ooh, okay, I believe grad or whatever. <laughs> you too, though. You too. So, if you guys are wondering what today's episode is going to be about, Carrie Ann is a mental health professional and she is going to be talking to us about what it's like being a black therapist in a white space and in a white setting, having to deal with white clients and I'm not going to give away all the tea, just keep listening (laughs) or whatever. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I am a recent graduate. Um, As Niara said, I have my I have a licensed, ooh, ooh, I spoke that into existence, actually. Yes. Soon Amen. To be, <laughs> soon to be licensed mental health professional. Um, just recently graduated, and I'm working currently in two private practices, one in Midtown and one in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, um, here in New York. They're both very predominantly white spaces, and as a black clinician, um, it's very important to me to be servicing people that look like me, um, to be a source of representation for people who, for people of color, especially black people who don't see themselves in the field or being supported like people like that look like them. As a black person, it is difficult to be in a field that is still predominantly white. I have daily struggles, honestly, of like um, somewhat like of an imposter syndrome, to be honest, around, well, if I don't see a representation of myself, am I worthy enough to be in that space? And having to remind myself daily that that I am worthy and that not having enough of us there as of yet, because we're coming, we're, we're coming, we are coming, <laughs> we're on the way, <laughs> does not mean that we shouldn't be in there. So it is a daily struggle, but I do have mentors and co-workers and friends like this lovely lady here oh, thanks <laughs> to continuously like be a source of support to remind myself that like no we're doing this work for a purpose and not only are we servicing others but we're serving to ourselves by continuing to pursue our passions so what made you interested in psychology like when did you know psychology is what you wanted to pursue as a career Mm, good question, sis. <laughs> good question. Uh, it probably dates back to undergrad. Um, I've no okay. Even further, a high school senior in high school, I took a human development class, and for a whole year, my senior year, I went to shout out to Waldorf schools in New York and up and above and beyond. Um, I took a human development class, and my teacher at the time, Miss Berkis, I will never forget her. I asked her like, what this class would represent in college. And she was like, oh, well, psychology. I spent a whole year with a kindergartner uh, watching their development and um, just being really intrigued about like his social and emotional learning and how it was like integrated 
throughout the year and watch and develop really and truly. Yeah. Um, and so when I went to college, I was like, all right, so the psychology, cool, cool. I'm going to go. I'm going to learn. Um, I made sure to stick by black professors in the field to feel supported again. I, I'm very much a big um, advocate for building community wherever you go because in specifically in a field that's predominantly white, if you don't have a community um, that is reflectant, and that community can also be with white people, but I think that having people that look like me is a source of strength. Um, and so, yeah, I got to college. I majored in psychology. I had professors who looked like me, and it was two. I went to two different colleges, and I had two two professors of color in both colleges mm-hmm. that really supported me. They were also in this field right. of psychology, and. Yeah, I just, I took it from there and I ran with it. Okay, thank you, thank you. So as a black clinician, Mm -hmm. do you think that your master's program properly prepared you for the setting that you work in now? And just for those who don't know, we went to Teachers College, Columbia University, and Carrie Ann was in the counseling psychology program at our school, so. Yes, um... Run that question back again. Run that question So do you think that your master's program properly prepared you for the setting that you work in now? Yes, to be honest. Okay, yes and no. And I think no question has, like, one. Yeah. I'm very, like, a big on, like, there's no specific... How do I say this? Like, it's not all good or not all bad. But, yeah. like, let me tell you the parts that, like, helped and the parts that, like, they need to grow on. Please. Um, so the parts that helped, uh, I had professors who were very... Told me from the gate, like, figure out the population you want to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, figure out the the modality that you want to use. And so populations, like the people, like I work with uh, middle adolescent to late adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then modality is like what framework you're using. So I navigate off of like a psychodynamic and a mm-hmm. relational framework with definitely like a social justice and multiculturalism right. thrown in there because for our people, mm-hmm. our people. people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so they prepared me in that sense of like providing me structure mm-hmm. Um, what I did not feel prepared for was, I, I would say, the, the isolation that I feel sometimes because I'm going in the route of private practice. Mm-hmm. Um, it can feel very isolating if you don't tap into your community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it, that was very spoken about because in the program, no one was advocating for people to go in the private practice right. route. We were told that, like, in some ways we were told, like, you have to go into academia mm-hmm. or you have to go into social work. Right. Um, and when I was saying, I want to do private practice, I want to work for myself. Mm-hmm. I want to work for myself and support people who look like me. It was like, mm. Right. You know? Yeah. So, um, and I had to do a lot of pushback. And so I didn't feel supported in being, knowing the things that I would have to do to establish like mm-hmm. my own career because private practice is yourself. Like I'm yeah. putting myself on the line. Right. Um, you are your business. Exactly. Right. And so, I felt very much unsupported in that stance, and like I'm still currently figuring it out. I currently work in two private practices, and I'm watching how they move with their money, yeah. how they're like building out the buildings, how they hire employees, how much expenses, you know, like all of that. I feel like should be integrated within the program. Um, so yeah, good good components, bad components, areas of growth always. And do you treat many people of color in your practice now? Yes, I do. Yes, and how's that? Uh, honestly, being able to treat people of color, um, specifically black women, my niche in my, my what I want to support my clients with long term, I want to specifically be working with expecting mothers, mm-hmm. um, expecting mothers of color. Um, and it is 
so rewarding to leave a session with a black woman and realize like this is why I'm doing this work that I'm doing. Um, the other day I had a client and we spoke about the amount of microaggressions she experiences on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And just being able to be like, in my, internally be like, me too, sis, but also being able to like flip that in a clinical sense of having her examine, well, what does that mean for her, right? Yeah. How does that affect her daily living? Um, what does that mean in raising her family? Mm-hmm. What kind of conversations does she want to have? Um, in what ways does being a black woman of middle class um, very well educated and still receiving um, so much hate at times. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that affect her psyche, right? Right. Because I think there's this this component, like when you, especially for people of color, like when you make it into a social, a certain socioeconomic status, oh, you've made it, right? That mm-hmm. like you don't face right. face the difficulties of still being a person of color. But that is the furthest from the truth. Right. Definitely. So it is very rewarding to have clients of color, um, and it reminds me of why I do what I do mm-hmm. and um, it's very fulfilling and so and that's why I got into this work because had I not had uh, mentors had I not had therapists who guided me that looked like me mm-hmm. honestly I'm not certain if I would be in this profession right I think I would feel more lost I think I would have more questions um, but I'm now in a place of more curiosity and like yeah. welcoming challenges and embracing change Definitely. So. Representation matters. You have to see people who look like you so you can know, like, okay, I can do this too. I'll be just as successful. Yes. Right. In your own right. Right. Exactly. So how aware are you of your blackness in your field of work? And what are, or how do you face microaggressions and how do you deal with that? I'm aware of my blackness every day. Okay. Uh, I walk into a room and I'm a black woman first mm-hmm. and foremost. Yeah. Um, and so I know that I experienced that. How do I handle it? So it's interesting because I present as a black woman, but like my ethnicity is not known. So I'm half Jamaican, half Haitian. Yes, <laughs> is. Um, and so I think at times it can be frustrating to be just narrowed down to just being a black woman when a huge part of my identity is my ethnicity of being Jamaican and Haitian. And I'm like sometimes in a conflict of wanting to affirm my blackness, but then also want to affirm the other areas of my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite honestly, they're visible unless I like switch on the accent or switch on, you know, mention some um, right. things that I do on my in my free time. But I, as a black woman, I'm very hyper aware of race, mm-hmm. especially having grown up in the U.S. Um, and so I have to check that sometimes because I do think when you grow up in this this country, you can be hyper aware in the sense that you think that everyone is out to get you mm-hmm. and that can really impact and um, shape how you form relationships and so knowing that about myself I have to be very in tune with okay well um, how am I feeling right now what feelings are coming up with for me as I enter white spaces um, because I'll be honest I am that black person that enters a white space and I count the amount of black people in the room girl and same I- <laughs> same <laughs> And I know y'all do that too. <laughs> exactly. I, that is something that we all do, Definitely. I think. Um, and for me, it's because I, I want support. I, I don't want to feel like the only person. Yeah. Um, and so realizing that if I am entering in a space that I am the only black person, okay, well, what, what am I feeling right now? Am I feeling insecure? Am I feeling fearful? Um, and being in touch with those feelings so that um, I can better navigate that room. Um, now, that's not to say if somebody tries you, that's a different story. (laughs) 
<laughs> but um, I try things to specifically answer the question is I, I try to be more in tune with what I need in spaces that don't aren't as representative as I might want them to be. So like, do I need to check in with myself? Mm-hmm. Do I need to take a break from the environment? Um, do I need to reach out to support? Do I reach out to my girl Niara and be like, listen, I'm at this new job. I'm the only black person there and I'm feeling isolated. Right. Um, and so it's more so being more in touch with what I need versus the externalness, right. but being aware that like that is very present and what at the moment that's not really changing as quickly as we might want it, mm-hmm. but we can change how we are able to affirm our identities in different spaces and show up as our full selves. Right. Are your colleagues black, white? Um, What's your work setting looking like? Okay, so to be honest, no. Um, My work setting is not that diverse. And my two practices, we're working on it. Um, The second practice that I work at is a practice of women of color. Mm -hmm. All women of color. And it's super dope to be in that space. We just changed our logo to be uh, like this stone of... um, a carving of a, a person of color mm-hmm. and you can tell and that's so inviting right definitely. and it's i'm just like what like to see that yeah it's so cool and my other practice i currently sit on the diversity committee where we're working on expanding and when we say diversity we're narrowing it down because diversity is a big term mm-hmm. to just hiring more black clinicians yeah um and also being intentional around how we train our clinicians to incorporate discussions around race gender inclusivity and all of that um, so my colleagues in my other practice are predominantly white of Asian descent or of East Asian descent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not that many black coworkers. Yeah. And unfortunately, like it's quite a, um, frustrating, but I yeah. do. I'm, I have at that practice in Midtown, it's three of us, three black clinicians mm. out of like 30. Wow. Out of 30? Yeah. Hold on. Did y'all hear that? Three black clinicians out of 30. Yeah. And are your white colleagues receptive to the diversity training? Yeah. So they're very receptive. Um, And I'm the type of person, like, to be honest, when I come into spaces where I'm not represented, I'm like, we have a problem, red flag, Mm -hmm. um, because... You have to speak up for yourself. You do. You really do. Because I'm of the mindset that, like, we all need to eat. Mm -hmm. Like, we all need to have a seat at the table. Period, poo. Exactly. That's it. And so if I don't see us represented, I'm like, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, and so they're very receptive. And I, I started as an intern there, and now I'm a um, part-time therapist there. And they've been very receptive to, like, the changes that I'm like, we need to be making. And we started a whole committee. Um, and it's a very diverse committee. We have some white colleagues on there who I made very clear, like, at times you will have to take, you will need to step up and, like, just take some of this on your back because it'll be too much for me. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be the only one pushing for this kind of change. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm really there to be learning more and yeah. practicing. Like, I didn't join the organization to become, like, a director of diversity mm-hmm. there. I think we need one. But I also think that that can happen sometimes with people yeah. of color. Like, when we come into spaces. Right. Um, and where... You're the only ones advocating for these issues. They're automatically like, okay, well, you do it. Exactly. Here you go. Yeah. Exactly. And then you end up falling into the trap of doing something else what you didn't come in to to do, right? Right. But it is important to have that in the space because it'll help you thrive more. Yeah, definitely. So do your own traumas affect the work that you do with your clients? And if so, how do you combat these traumas? And how do you you Mm self-care? Okay, so it's like a 
a later yeah. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to answer the first part, do my traumas come into play? I think yes. Um, from a very early age, around 16, I had a lot of death in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so death is something that I find, death, grief, and loss mm-hmm. are something that I find challenging um, just to navigate in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it has impacted the work that I do. As an earlier clinician, I found myself like steering away from the topics. Like My clients would bring it up and I'd be like, ooh. I'm not touching that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna explore that today. Right. Like, mm, heard you. Like, I would. I would say the pleasantries. Like, I'm sorry to hear that, but yeah. I wouldn't really go there with my clients. Go in depth with them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I want my space where my clients come in to feel like they can show up in the fullness of themselves. Mm-hmm. That we can touch any topic. Nothing is taboo. Nothing is off the table. And so, if I'm of a place where like, oh, death scares me. Yeah. Death makes me feel like I'm not able to function. Mm-hmm. Then that would be that would and has impacted some of my work. Right. And how I've managed that is to be quite explicit and be safe to my clients. You know, um, I'm feeling a lot of sadness right now. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways it's coming from the things that I've experienced in my life, but I want to get a better understanding of how what you're communicating to me has impacted you. Yeah. And so kind of acknowledging that I'm a person mm-hmm. and that I have feelings, which is also a way to model for clients that it's right. okay to express what, you, what you're what you feeling. Mm-hmm. And then also um, not just acknowledging it and telling to them, but acknowledging for self yeah. that, okay, carry and check in with yourself right now. And then remember that I am also their clinician. Yeah. Um, and what reactions do they have when you when you kind of say like, okay, I'm also feeling sadness right now. Mm-hmm. This is why. How do they react to that when you say that? It depends on the client, honestly. It depends on the client. It also depends on the relationship you have with the client, how long you've been working with the client. Um, some clients don't want to hear about you. Uh, it's their space. <laughs> right. They're paying for They're it. Paying. So. <laughs> some clients don't want to hear about it. Other clients, it resonates more and they'll um they'll hear it and I think in my opinion it serves as a way of connecting Mm -hmm. because I and anything I do with my clients it's a way to it's in the sense of trying to connect with them and build a relationship for them to better understand themselves of how they navigate relationships um and I also go to my own form of therapy you know yeah as a therapist I'm a strong advocate for therapy and I think that a lot of the work that I've done to take care of myself um around topics of grief loss and death Mm -hmm. is to talk about it is to be in a safe space where I can go there for myself Mm -hmm. and really get to the nitty gritty of like, okay, so what parts of this is still, this does still needs to be unpacked. Yeah. Um, so that I can also be better at being present for someone else who needs to unpack their grief, unpack their loss. Um, but you said, what do I do for self care? Yeah. What does self care look like for you? I am a proponent of a large array of different types of self care. So like, Music is a huge aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what kind of music? Gospel music. My, I call it my Jesus music. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say, <laughs> if anyone who knows Carrie Ann, she's always dancing. <laughs> always. And they bring me so much joy watching you oh. dance. I'm like, she's so happy. And oh I just feel gosh. the happiness through the camera. I just want to say that. Oh. Carrie Ann is always dancing. <laughs> so No, this is, this is true. This is true. I find that I connect to my joy when I dance and I listen to music. Mm-hmm. And so, you know how people, the, the saying is like, oh, don't just pretend to be happy on Instagram or Facebook or whatever yeah. to truly be happy. We got a lot of those. Yes. Mm. When 
And I always fear that when I post that, like, that people might perceive me to be that way. And so it like, really warms my heart when you say that like you like it and you appreciate it. Yeah, no, I love it. Like, <laughs> I love literally, like most people on Instagram, I just tap through their stories. Yeah. Yours, I actually sit down and I watch and I'm like, uh, just makes me smile. Oh, thank you. Because honestly, it listening to music, dancing, bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Those, those are forms of self-care. I was a dancer like at a younger kid. And so it, I think it's just like grown into more so just like taking care of myself by yeah. dancing and being connected to music um i also work out i train with my my trainer shout out to courtney hollywood um if you need a trainer let me know um, <laughs> <laughs> i train um i have not training as actively but i like to release some endorphins you know get yeah. physically active and out there um i love food food is i was head. literally just thinking that because i'm like you eat super clean like your meals always look pretty and i'm yeah. like can i get a plate <laughs> <laughs> well now that i moved to brooklyn you know come through we can make it happen um, you don't gotta tell me twice <laughs> <laughs> i like foods with lots of different colors and that's i think a trick to kind of that i've used to kind of like uh mix up my meals is like instead of counting like calories or like carbs and none of that I count colors yeah and that's a trick I learned from my cousin a long time ago is to count the colors in your food and if it's pretty I'm gonna eat it because <laughs> typically it tastes good um right. I also pray I am religious so that's my form of um connecting with self with a higher being um with God mm-hmm. um what else do I do? I journal. Journal is a huge part of my self-care. I tell y'all that every episode. Journal. <laughs> get a journal, please. Yeah, and it's I personally don't journal like every day, mm-hmm. but like having um designating time and space and a thing to be able to write your thoughts down in. Mm-hmm. What I tell my clients is like it can be super hard to discern between your thoughts, people's expectations, and your purpose. Right. Um, and journaling is a great way to kind of like write it all out, put it aside, maybe mm-hmm. come back to it, reflect on it. Yeah. Um, reflection also, I think is probably the last one I want to mention. Mm-hmm. Reflection is super big um, for me. And just thinking about like where I've been, where I am, where I want to be, mm-hmm. and finding peace in each step of that. Yeah. Um, and that's through reflection. And really sitting in the fact that, like, we should be celebrating the little things mm-hmm. along the way. And I find that I'm better able to celebrate myself and care for myself when I reflect. Yeah. On and what do I'm... you have, like, a certain way to reflect? Like, do you do an exercise? How does it work? Okay. So, um, remember when you texted me the other day? Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> I'm journaling right now on the train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find myself in reflection um, kind of, like, anywhere, honestly. Mm-hmm. It'll be... I, I could be on the train and I'm just, like, sitting there and I'm like... Karen, I like I, I'll I'll speak to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm like Karen, how was your day? What was difficult about today? Right. What parts of your day can you take with you and be happy about? Um, do you want to celebrate? Mm-hmm. Um, what? Um, because for a long time before I became a therapist, I found it very hard to ask for support. Mm-hmm. So like, what a part? What about my day? Do I need more support with that? I'm yeah. not not acknowledging. Um, and so I do a lot of active reflection, I like to call it, which is like in, in walking, I'll be mm-hmm. reflecting or like on a train because yeah. we live in New York and we're always moving. But also like on a Sunday morning, I will like make a cup of tea mm-hmm. and I'll sit with myself, um, play some music, cut it off and just reflect a little bit for like 10, 15 minutes around like my past couple of days, where I am presently, mm-hmm. what I have done in the past and where I want to be in the future. Right. In a very, and this is the key part of reflection is to be doing it in a um, 
because we're very critical beings, right? Mm-hmm. So to be doing it in a, a nice way, like speak to yourself nice. Speak to yourself nice. Exactly. <laughs> when you're talking to, about your past selves, like not in like a way of like, oh my gosh, like I should have done this. Like, yeah. no, like I did this thing and like it might not have worked out that way, but how could I have done it differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and presently, what am I doing? And in the future, what do I hope to be doing? Yeah, right. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. And you said that you were religious. Do you incorporate any of your beliefs in your practice with your clients? Actually, currently now, I don't. No. I don't. That's it's that's a very personal aspect of myself, and I've been thinking for a while. I do have some colleagues who are more um, incorporating, um, incorporative. Is that a word? I don't think so, but, like, it's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they do more incorporating of, like, uh, meditation and, like, mm-hmm prayers and I don't and that's only because I haven't been trained that way okay um and so if I were to like want to later on I think I would want to become more trained in how to like make that applicable and make it right come together um but I I honestly will say that there are therapists out there who do incorporate that I have a good friend of mine um whose therapist will open up and end session with prayer. Mm. Um, and I think there can be many forms and different ways of healing. Yeah. And with prayer can be a huge one. So, like, I don't personally, but I say whatever works for you works. Yeah. And try right. it out and try out new things to figure out what works. Yeah. So what is the most overwhelming part about being a black therapist? Yikes. What a question. I know that's a little loaded, but... Uh, it is yeah. loaded. It is loaded. Um... Can we sit with that for a second? Just for a moment. Yeah, go ahead. Let me think. The most overwhelming part of being a black therapist. Mm. Honestly, the most overwhelming part would be not being able to help all my black people. Mm. You know? Yeah. Because I'm in private practice, um, and that comes with restrictions. Yeah. I also, um, the private practices that I work at have further restrictions. Mm-hmm. And so I won't... In terms of like insurance and things so like yeah, that? So yeah, insurance, location, cost, oh, right. um, availability. Um, and so sometimes um, my background, so I'm Caribbean and I'm the oldest daughter in a family. So I come from a very nurturing, like I always helped everyone in my family and having to kind of like con- or understand that in myself um, but also having to understand that, like, I that can't always be how I navigate my profession. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think it could be very overwhelming not being able to help or not being able to be a uh, resource to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the <laughs> the best piece of advice I received from my own therapist was that this field is an endless series. And this might feel a little hopeless, but I hope it's hopeful for some. But this field is a series of goodbyes and hellos. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay that we can't help everyone. Yeah. And so I think for me, it can be overwhelming to think that, like, I can't, you know, do it all. But I think that speaks to a black, the black narrative that women are always faced with, mm-hmm. with, like, we need to work twice as hard and yeah. twice, as, twice as much to be recognized. And um, so, yeah, sometimes I'm like, wow, I really can't help everyone. But that is actually okay, because if I could help everyone, there'd be no space left for me. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's like, understanding that, like, in sitting with that and being real with self like you can't help everyone and you do need space for yourself and that is the truth okay okay 
And the opposite, what is the most rewarding part about being a black therapist? The most rewarding part about being a black therapist, can I give several answers? Girl, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first and foremost is to be doing something, to be in a field that I'm truly passionate about, Mm -hmm. Um, to be a representative in a field that I'm truly passionate about. Um, So that's two. I got a couple more. Um... The best things. Wow, I should like put them on. I should. I should write. Wow, this is really good reflection. <laughs> See, we. I said reflection. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um. So be doing being in a field that I care about to help and be a representation to my people in this field that um there are people that look like us who are in this and we're working towards destigmatizing mm-hmm. mental health. Um. We are coming. Right? Because you believe it too. I know. I listen to Tina podcast and I'd be like, amen. Thank God that there's someone <laughs> out there telling people that it is okay to not be okay. Right. Right? It's okay to be in your bag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What else though? What else? Um, I Because I'm in the private practice realm, I get to set my own hours. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty dope. I have a certain level of independence. I know when I was first out of college, um, I feel like I'm dating myself here a little bit, but, like, I'm still spry and young. Facts. (laughs) Like, don't crack, baby. Exactly. Exactly. But um, when I was first out of college, I was, like, working for a nonprofit. And I felt very constrained to, like, the restrictions of that that organization, although it was a great organization. Um, I have a different level of independence being Mm -hmm. a therapist, being a black therapist. Um, So, yeah, being able to... um, be in this field to be a representation of my people within this field Mm -hmm. having a certain level of um freedom um and I feel like I need to quote Nipsey Hussle here (laughs) just a little bit because like for the culture you know the marathon is always continuing like and so to just be ever present and aware that like we need to be continuing to do this work is also a dope part about being a black therapist right and lastly... Did that answer the question? Yeah. You sure? You got more? <laughs> I might. We might come back. No, that was perfect. That was perfect. Um, lastly, what advice about mental health, anything overall, mm-hmm. do you have for people of color? Young people, old people, middle-aged mm-hmm. people, anybody. People who are listening. Yeah. Whoever. What okay. advice do you have? Advice. Advice. Okay. For so, the culture. For the culture. <laughs> Your mental health is just as important as any other thing in your life. Say that one more time, please. <laughs> please. Your mental health is just as important as any other thing in your life. If you stubbed your toe, you would take care of it. If you cut, if your nail chipped a little too low, you would take care of exactly. it. Exactly. Your mind is also something that should be taken care of. Um, and it's a muscle. You have to use, you have to stimulate it for it to be working effectively. Um, and effectively is not even the word, but you need to be caring for it um, in a continuous um, and kind way. Um, so for my people, my black people, for all my peoples, um, know that, that it is okay to not be okay and that you need to be taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And you can be doing that in several different forms. It doesn't have to specifically mean going out and hiring a therapist, right. but it can be... It can look like you really dedicating time for yourself um, within the busyness of your week. Mm -hmm. It can look like you um, setting boundaries within your relationships. It can look like you um, 
get making a good meal for yourself. Um, it can look like a host of different things. Going to get crab legs. <laughs> are we doing that after? Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. We're about to self care and get some crab legs after this too. Exactly. So you know. So and if you're allergic to seafood, I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> I don't really can't help you there on that one, but. Uh, more tips though more tips um if you're new to understanding like what mental health um means for you looks like for you um i say grab a book um there are lots of really good books pdf of books we're all in school at some point and everyone has access to libraries i say do some reading up on different types of things um to my people that are new to therapy there's a book called the gift of therapy and it was um, one of the first books I read in my master's program, and it gives like a really, it's written by a therapist, um, and it gives a really good introduction of like what therapy could look like, because um, I'm all about like just being transparent about it, right? And so like therapy can be like a place that's very nervous, nerve wracking, um, and so this book could just tell you like what it might look like. Yeah. Um, but like in terms of other tips, like in terms of being more aware of your mental health, is like if you're new to understanding it, grab a book. Um, Speak to people. Reach out to people. Speak to people. people. Reach out to people. Thank you. Like, yes. Like, I'm going to put Carrie Ann's information (laughs) in the description. Hit her up. Hit her up. Yeah, nah. Even if it's just to do a quick chat to to see, like, what you're trying to work on, I'm totally down for that. And um, there are so many podcasts that could help help you get a better understanding of what, like, mental health is, what it looks like for you. to have someone that might be experiencing something similar and for them to be able to put into words. Um, there are also, there was podcasts, there's books. You can reach out to your friends. Um, YouTube. YouTube. There's so many different YouTube resources. Yeah, no. Um, there was another one, though, that I was thinking. That's in my mind. If I remember it, I'll tell Niara and she can let y'all know. I'll put it. Yes. She'll let you know. <laughs> She'll let you know. Um, but yeah. Um, be proactive is another tip I want to give because I think oftentimes there's a thought that like your mental health should only be taken care of after something happens, after there's a big blow up or after there's a breakdown when actually I have a lot of clients and I want to be very transparent about this. I have a lot of clients who come to me to remain healthy. And that's very important. Exactly. very important. Exactly. Like, there doesn't have to be something big for you to go to therapy or to be taking care of your mental health. Mm -hmm. It's something that we should be doing daily. Um, And so, and if you look at it that way, I think it helps decrease the stigma around, like, um, well, I have to be in therapy or I have to be taking care of myself only when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Because we should be doing it all the time. We should. um, And I rarely use shoulds because I think they're very limiting. Um, But I... We should, I'm still saying, <laughs> we should be taking care of our mental health. Right. So that is all I have. Oh, that was quick. Today. Okay. That was amazing. Thank you so much for no. being my first ever guest. Yeah, give, give me a hug. hug. Give me a hug. Give me a hug. We hugged. Give me a hug. We, we hugged. No, we did. It was real. It was real. It's not just for y'all. Right. Any <laughs> final words you want to share with the listeners? Uh, first and foremost, leave my girl a review. Please. Thank Leave you. her a review. Please. She's dope. I met her in grad school, 
And when I met her, I was like, Wait, I'm, can we tell them how we became friends? Sure, go ahead. You, you, I've been talking. So, we were, was it the wine, the wine tasting thing? Yeah, that's like the school first. So, yeah, yeah, so we right. had like a little, our school had a mixer for the new students, and literally was like, Oh, black people, <laughs> <laughs> let but me seriously. go over here. No, that's how we became. I told y'all in the last episode, that's how me, like most of my friends at Columbia, like that's how we became friends. You're black, I'm black, let's, <laughs> let's sit together. That's and the then truth. we just hit it off from there. Because mm-hmm. you know, real recognized, real. Exactly. Oh, whatever. Period. Period. Poop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nah. Last couple things. Leave my girl a review, okay? She's doing the darndest Thanks. out here, all right? I, I, I'm not even going to front. I, I sent her podcast to a couple of my friends like, y'all need to re- listen to this and listen to that. Thanks. Y'all know who you are. <laughs> um, take care of your mental health, everyone. Not just black people, everybody. everybody but yeah. for our community, for black people, it is very important, especially since um, we don't we don't do it. We don't do it at the simplest, okay? Um, and we're here to support you. We are. We look like you. We have experiences similar to you, and we want to be We an came advocate. from the struggle, too. Exactly. We, we know what it's like. Exactly. Um, and, you know, hit me up. Yes, I'm going to put her information <laughs> in the description. Don't be shy. Reach out to her. I'm also going to put the book information that she mentioned, because can I borrow that? Because yeah, yeah, I've yeah. never read this. I'm going to read this, too. <laughs> Got you. But that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you, Carrie Ann, for being our guest. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And Take care, y'all. Thanks. Gardenia blessings to each of you. See you guys next week. See. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you guys next week.